appreciate that. And uh, I will I'll correct you on one thing that uh, you said a while ago, Kyle, that uh, you have to have toppings to eat ice cream. And at that moment, Marvin looked at Joe, my wife, and said, you do not have to have toppings to eat ice cream. <laughs> ice cream's pretty good even without toppings. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to speak to you tonight. Appreciate the invitation. Uh, and uh, I've been here a couple of times before, and so... I appreciate that you uh, have invited me back, or at least Chuck has, uh, so I appreciate that very much. Let me begin by reading a story to you. This is a Newberry honor book, Frog and Toad Together. All right, we have some excitement in the crowd by Arnold Lobel. It's an I Can Read book. And I'm going to skip the first story. The first story is called A List. And the second story is called, if I can get to it, The Garden. I'm not going to read the whole story. I'm just going to read a, a bit of it. Frog was in his garden. Toad came walking by. What a fine garden you have, Frog, he said. Yes, said Frog. It is very nice, but it was hard work. I wish I had a garden, said Toad. Here are some flower seeds. Plant them in the ground, said Frog, and soon you will have a garden. How soon? asked Toad. Quite soon, said Frog. Toad ran home. He planted the flower seeds. Now, seeds said Toad. Start growing. Toad walked up and down a few times. The seeds did not start to grow. Toad put his head close to the ground and said loudly, now seeds start growing. Toad looked at the ground again. The seeds did not start to grow. Toad put his head very close to the ground and shouted, Now seeds start growing! Then I'll stop there. You get the point. Toad, Toad the, let's see, we have been looking at Toad. Frog comes and uh, counsels Toad on what his problem is. And Toad's problem, you can tell me, Toad needed to learn patience. He needed to learn patience. That's the theme for tonight, patience. Jesus told some stories, sort of like that story I just read to you. There was a, a fella who took some seed, and he went out into the field, and he started scattering that seed around. We know this story, right? This is Matthew 13 or Mark chapter 4. And some of that seed fell on the road, and some of that seed fell among the rocks, and some of that seed fell among the thorns. And there was some seed that fell on good soil, and we know that it was good soil because you shall know a tree by its fruit. Uh, we know it was good soil because it produced a bunch of fruit. That seed grew up 
and it produced some 30 or 60 or 100 fold, but do you know what you had to do before the seed produced 30 or 60 or 100 fold? You, you had to wait. You, you put that seed in the ground, and even the seed that's in the good soil, it, it's not so good that it just springs up overnight or springs up as fast as Toad wanted it to spring up. Even the good soil produces 30 or 60 or 100 fold after months of waiting. You have to, you have to wait for it. James spells out that little lesson in the last chapter of the book of James. In chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. You also must be patient. We should be patient because God is patient. You know, if you've paid much attention to the book of Genesis as you've read it, you, you've noticed that the first 11 chapters are a little bit different from the what comes next. Chapter 12 sort of starts something new in Genesis. We have the call of Abraham in Genesis, or let's say Abram, in chapter 12. But the first 11 chapters sort of set up the problem. The problem is answered in chapter 12. There is the beginning of the solution. But the, the problem is set up in, in the first 11 chapters. And that problem is, well, one of the ways we can look at it is the problem is the curse. You know, sin brings a curse. What we see in, in chapter 3, sin brings God's curse. And then as sin continues, the curse continues. And that word curse, you can find it several times in those first 11 chapters. Sin grows and the curse grows. There is more and more curse. And so what we have as a solution to the curse in chapter 12 is we have blessing. The curse has been spread and so now we need the solution to the curse is blessing. The opposite of a curse. And so what God says in Genesis chapter 12, he calls Abram out of his homeland. And he says to him, you need to go to the land that I will show you. In chapter 12 verse 2 he says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The solution that God is presenting to us, presenting to Abram here, the solution to the curse problem, the sin problem that had gone before, the solution is blessing. And the way it's going to happen is this man, Abraham, is going to have a family. 
And from that family, there will come blessing upon the entire world. Now just think for a moment how long that takes. God is patient. He repeats the promise several times. This is chapter 12. He calls Abram and says, Through your family, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. In chapter 18, verse 18, he says it again. It's it's through the family of Abraham that all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. In chapter 22, verse 18, he says it again. Through the family of Abraham, all the families on earth are going to be blessed. In chapter 26, verse 4, he says it now to Jacob, uh, excuse me, Isaac. Isaac comes next. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Isaac comes next, and he says it to Isaac. Through your family, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Chapter 28, he says it to Jacob now. Chapter 28, verse 14. Through your family, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. It has already been, what, how long would that be? Well, how long did they live back? They lived a long time. So, I mean, by the time you get from Abraham, when he's 75 years old, to the time that uh, Jacob is uh, in chapter 20, I don't know how long that's been. We could probably add it up. 50, 60, 70 years? Maybe 100? And how, how much closer are we to seeing the fulfillment of this, this promise We're barely any way along the timeline in God's mind. God is patient. God has this solution to this massive problem. He has plans for the entire world. And he's okay waiting for that plan to develop over generations and generations and generations. He's patient. God is patient with his plan. He's patient with his people. God is patient with us. We're happy, aren't we, that God is patient. Remember what Peter says about the patience of God Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. God is okay with being patient, and we should be okay with that as well, because it's for our benefit. It's patient with us not wanting us to perish for our sins. I think it's probably an understatement to say that uh, the world in which we live does not necessarily encourage patience, at at least the world in which we live. I'm in Florence, Alabama. I can say in Florence, Alabama, uh, Florence uh, does not really encourage patience. I would imagine this same way in Hoover. There, there are places in the world I have been that seem to encourage patience a little bit more. The lifestyle that people live in certain areas of the world seem to encourage patience a little more, but uh, 
I wouldn't say that's the case even in Alabama, and maybe Alabama is the best place in America, I don't know, to live for a place to encourage, and even here it's not all that great to encourage patients. I mean, how long has it been since we've had like road rage as sort of like almost a cliche about what American life is like? It's been a long time, right? I mean, it's been uh, a generation at least since we, and what is that? That's about impatience. That's what that is. That's impatience. So it it didn't just start in our culture with like the rise of the internet and what, but I think that has exacerbated it, made the problem even more serious that our culture, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the way I'm looking at this, our culture sort of encourages us to be impatient. In some ways, I think patience is making a comeback. In some ways. You think about the, 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 the term homemade. And what, what does that bring to your mind, homemade? When you, when you hear something, this pie is homemade, this pie we bought at Walmart. Which, which one do you think... There's a difference there, and you you would probably gravitate toward, depending on the cook, you would gravitate toward that homemade pie because there's there's some quality there that you're not going to, or this shirt is homemade versus one that you bought at, at, again, Walmart. There there are things that you think that there's quality in that, that that someone took time with this. Someone uh, put their energy and effort into this, and it took time, and you couldn't get it right now. You know, there's this movement, I'm sure most of you know about this movement, a slow food movement, and I have heard that this uh, slow food movement started in Italy maybe, I don't know, uh, 30s, 80s, I think, and, and what was going on in Italy, it may have been the 70s, uh, there was, it was in Rome, and there was going to be a McDonald's put in in Rome, and so there was this, like, protest. These Italians got together and said, we don't want fast food. We want slow food. And what they were responding, they, they wanted, they didn't want a, th- this lifestyle where you just have to run through life to the next event and let me just grab a burger on my way. They wanted to be able to sit down. To think about the ingredients that were going to go into their food and think about how to cook it and then to cook it. And then to invite people over and spend some hours together enjoying this meal that they had labored over together. They, they didn't want fast food. They wanted slow food. And so I think in some ways patience is making a comeback. I will admit that yesterday I went to McDonald's and I got a burger. And I will tell you, it was a good burger. <laughs> and this, this, is, this is, the reason it was a good burger is, did you know that McDonald's, I'm not, I'm not getting any money from McDonald's, so uh, that's not what this is about. But did you know that McDonald's has now, like, uh, where some, not all, but some of their hamburgers are made with, like, Always fresh beef, never frozen, 100% ground beef, and stuff like that. They're, they're advertising this as part of their, you know, 
So you can go to McDonald's now and get a hamburger patty that has never been, and I will tell you, it's better. It's better than the other stuff. And they will make it for you, like, not 30 minutes ago, but they will make it for you right now. You actually have to wait on your burger to be cooked for you. And so they're, uh, they're, it, it tasted a lot better than the other things. Never mind. Uh, and so uh, patience has some advantages to it. And in some ways, patience is making a comeback. We need patience. We need patience because God is patient. We need patience because the Bible encourages us to be patient. Think about these verses. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. This is verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Paul says something similar in, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. May the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone else, just as we do for you. That's a good verse, isn't it? That's 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 12. Uh, let me go back one book to Colossians 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you so also are you also to forgive patience. Paul is encouraging patience. Paul is encouraging patience in those two verses, Colossians 3.12 and Ephesians 4.2, specifically in this area, in the way that you treat one another. In a congregation at Hoover Church of Christ, what Paul is encouraging is patience in the way that you bear with one another. Paul has been around the block a time or two, and he has seen people be impatient with their brothers and sisters. He's saying, what, what you need is patience. We, we can think about, you know, the second greatest command, right? Love your neighbor. The second greatest command is about love. And when Paul comes to describe what love is like, you think of a particular chapter in the Bible, right? 1 Corinthians 13. And the very first thing Paul says, love is what? Patient. That's the very first thing that comes to his mind. Here's what love is. Love is patient. Think about the way Jesus interacted with his disciples. Did, were there times, do you think, that his disciples maybe tried his patience when, he, when we, he risked losing his patience with the disciples. I, just uh, earlier today, I was looking through Matthew and looking at the different times that Jesus addresses his disciples as people of little faith. I don't have all those. I should have written them down. Uh, I don't have them all written down. But there are several times that Jesus says, you, ye, uh, take KJV here, ye of little faith. Uh, the, uh, one is 
when Peter came out of the boat on the water and, and then he starts to sink and Jesus has to reach and save him and he says, you have little faith, why, why did you doubt? And there, there are different occasions where, where Jesus uses this expression. You, these people that he has chosen specifically for the purpose of learning from him and so that he could. I mean, the Bible tells us this is Mark chapter 3 when he's choosing the disciples. Why did he choose the disciples? Because he wants them to be with him and to send them out to cast out demons and to preach the kingdom of God. And these, these are specially chosen envoys who need to sort of imitate Jesus and, and live the life of faith and, and absorb their master's ideology and lifestyle and so often they fail in doing that i think about the the times i mean the the very explicit times where jesus says this is what's going to happen i'm going to go to jerusalem and die so expect it when it happens i don't know if you've noticed that before but jesus says that very explicitly several times i'm thinking of the times in the Gospel of Mark, you could look in Matthew and Luke as well, but in the Gospel of Mark, it's, it's chapter 8, verse 31, that's where it says, he began to teach that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected. And do you remember in that, that's, that's right after the, he says, who do men say that I am? And, and Peter says, you are the Christ. And Jesus says, good, good Peter, good Peter, that's right. Now, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and people are going to put me in handcuffs and spit on me and mock me, and they're going to beat me, and they're going to put me on a cross and kill me, and then a few days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. And do you remember what Peter said? That will not happen to you. I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm channeling Matthew here. So in, in Mark, it, it, he doesn't say that, but it just says in verse 32, chapter 8, verse 32, Mark, uh, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter is rebuking Jesus. You're wrong, Jesus. That's not going to happen. Patience. The very next chapter, that's chapter 8. Uh, the very next chapter is chapter 9, uh, verse 31. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after he is killed, he will rise three days later. I've always found this one to be, let me look at the time here. I've always found this one to be really interesting because what happens next? I mean, the, 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 Jesus has told them very explicitly, I'm going to be killed. And it just says in verse 32, they didn't have any idea what he was talking about. Don't have a clue. And then the very next episode in verse 33, they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the way? Now, what was it that Jesus told them on the way? Jesus told them, I'm going to be killed. Right? That's what Jesus told them on the way. But then they apparently started arguing about something immediately after that. And it says in verse 34, they were silent because on the way they had been arguing with one another about who was the greatest. I, I would classify that as completely missing the point 
of what Jesus is trying to tell them, we are, what we're in this business for is sacrifice of ourselves. And specifically, how that's going to get started is I am going to sacrifice myself. That is what's going to happen. I'm going to be dying on a cross. Which one of us is the best, do you think? Which one of us do you think has most glory? Patience. The, the very next chapter, chapter 10, uh, it's the third time Jesus says this, uh, verse 33. See, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes. They will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, spit on him, flog him, kill him, and he will rise after three days. What happens next? James and John, the sons of Zebedee, approached him. We want you to do whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? Allow us to sit at your right hand and at your left in your glory. So once again, I mean, this is just like in chapter 9. This, once again, Jesus is talking about sacrifice. The apostles are only thinking about glory. Jesus is talking about giving up his life on behalf of others. The apostles are only thinking about which one of us can have the best seats when the kingdom starts. What color robes do you think I can get? How big will my crown be? Were there times that the apostles tried the patience of Jesus? I mean, there were plenty of times. And Jesus was patient with them. He rebuked them on occasion. But he was patient with them, continued to invest in them. Think about, uh, I've, I've had some experience with this, uh, telling a child to clean his room. Some of you have had experience with that as well. How does that usually go? I mean, let's, let's say the child is, let's say the child is two or three years old. And you tell the child, all those toys you were just playing with, what you need to do is you need to go, clean those up. And I will tell you, if you can't remember or you haven't had this experience, how this goes is the child will go into his room or into the area where he was playing and he will come back approximately seven seconds later declaring that he has fulfilled his obligation. He is done. Uh, two or three years old. I mean, who am I kidding? Seven, eight, nine, ten years old. Um, and then you will go back into that area, and it will be a complete disaster area. And you think, what in the world are you thinking? What did you... He said, I picked up a piece of paper and put it in the, you know, garbage. I cleaned up. And the child hasn't done hardly anything, and so you'll have to go do it again. And then the child will come back seven seconds later. I done. Because he's put one block in a bucket. And what you will have to do is you will have to take that child into the room himself and point to each individual. You cannot even just point to the blocks and say, pick up. You have to point to each block and say, pick up this block, pick up this block, pick up this block. And then they will be putting it into the bucket. And then you get done with that. And then there are the books scattered around and you have to point to each individual book. Put the book on the shelf. Now this book. Now this book, now the shoes. Pick up each one of your shoes and put it wherever the shoes go. 
And every individual item, you will have to tell them what to do. And they will act like they have no clue or they can't see it. You know, they will walk through the dirty, completely filthy room and just not have vision for the mess that is all around them. They just won't see it. And you will have to point it out to them. And then the next day, they will make a mess. And you will tell them, go to your room and clean that room up. And they will come back seven seconds later, declaring themselves done. And you will have to go and do the exact same thing. You will have to point out each individual book and each individual block and each individual shoe. And then the next day, they will make a mess in the room and you'll have to go and tell them each individual block. And, each, and then the next day, the same thing will happen. And then the next day, the same thing will happen. And then the next day, the same thing will happen. And one year later, the same thing will still be happening. And then two years later, you will be, feel exasperated. How many times do I have to tell this kid, pick up the shoes, and I just mean all the shoes, even the ones under the band and even the ones on the shelf, pick up them all and put them where they go. How many times do I have to tell this kid to pick up the blocks? And the answer will be, you'll have to do it some more. You will have to be patient. God calls us to be patient. Now, how we interact with our children is one, I guess, a petri dish of how that plays out in life. An obvious example. What Paul is concerned about, yeah, I mean, he's concerned about the way parents treat their kids and the way kids treat their parents. He's more concerned about the way Christians treat one another. And so he counsels, what you need to do is you need to be patient. You will lose your temper with one another, but what you need to do is be patient. God is patient, and we should imitate God. We must be patient. We, we need to be patient with each other. We need to be patient with ourselves as well. Recognizing that God gives us a lifetime to grow and mature, and we don't have to get there right now. I've, I've had people uh, ask me questions and, and talk to me about, you know, specifically about Bible study usually and, and why they can't understand the Bible and they want to do it now. And my advice has started to be, be patient with it. I mean, what you need to do is you need to read the Bible. I mean, if you want to understand the Bible, you do have to read the Bible. Okay, do that, but you won't understand it because it's hard to understand. It is hard to understand the Bible. I don't know if I'm the first person to tell you that, but that's, that's the truth. There are, there are parts of the Bible that are easy to understand, and there are a lot of parts of the Bible that are very hard. Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Revelation. I mean, I could name off several others. They're hard to understand. If you're going to understand them, you got to read them, but you won't understand them at first. What you have to do then is read them again. And then, and then you still probably, uh, let's take the book of Revelation. You read it twice, you probably still don't have a clue what it's about. Well, read it a third time then. And read it a fourth time. And be patient. It'll come. You read it five, six, seven, eight, nine times in a row, I'm talking about, not like three years in between, but in a row. Be patient with it. It'll come. You'll start to see things you hadn't seen before. 
God will reveal things to you he hasn't revealed before. You know, same thing for, you know, Micah. Micah's hard to understand. But read it ten times in a row. And things will start to click into place. You need to be patient. And, and just recognize, I don't have to understand Micah right now. But I want to give myself 20 years. I want to be patient with it. And in 20 30 years, I'd like for things to be clicking into place that aren't clear. I'm going to be patient with my own spiritual growth. I'm going to keep plugging along, but I'm not going to demand that it all happen right now. You can't pop yourself in a microwave and just be done right like that. You can't pop another Christian in the microwave and expect that Christian to be done right now. You can't pop your kid in the microwave. You'll be put in jail if you do. Uh, you, you can't do those. It, it's, it doesn't happen like that. We need to be patient with God. This is, this is a quote from a theologian named Jurgen Moltmann. He's a German guy, so that's why he has that name, Moltmann. He says this, Faith, wherever it develops into hope, causes not rest, but unrest. Think about that. I'm, I'm going to keep reading, but faith, wherever it develops into hope, causes not rest, but unrest. Not patience, but impatience. It does not calm the unquiet heart, but is itself this unquiet heart in man. Those who hope in Christ can no longer put up with reality as it is, but begin to suffer under it, to contradict it. Peace with God means conflict with the world, for the goad of the, un of the promised future stabs inexorably into the flesh of every unfulfilled present. I know that was a little heavy, some of that, a little deep. But the main point that he's trying to make is, I'll read this part again, those who put hope in Christ can no longer put up with reality as it is. Do you, do you feel that? Do you, do you see what this fella is saying? We, we recognize what God has in store for us. We recognize the God of justice and what God expects from people and we look around us and we see unrighteousness, we see sin, we see injustice and we want it to be put right now. We are impatient with this world in rebellion against God. And we hope for that better future and what I think what Moltmann is saying would resonate with some people in Scripture. I'm, I'm thinking specifically of Habakkuk. You remember the prophet Habakkuk? I won't turn there and read it to you, but I'll just remind you of how that book goes in the first chapter where Habakkuk looks around himself at, at Judah. 
This is Judean society in the days leading up to the Babylonian captivity. And Judean society, according to Habakkuk, is filled with violence and bloodshed and unrighteousness and injustice. And Habakkuk cries out to... Habakkuk is a book where Habakkuk, the prophet does not address the people on behalf of God. The prophet addresses God and says, God... When are you going to do something about this world? And God says, I've got plans. I'll tell you what. I'm going to bring these people named the Chaldeans over here. And all this bloodshed you see in Judah, they'll take care of it. All those violent Judeans that you see, the Chaldeans will take care of them. And Habakkuk says, God, that's a terrible plan. The Chaldeans are worse than the Judeans. How could you possibly think that's the right move? That's not going to solve anything. That's just going to make it all worse. And Habakkuk says, I want to stand here on my watchtower. Now we're into chapter 2. I'm just going to stand here and wait for you to answer me, God. And God says, okay, Habakkuk, here's the answer. Now write it down and make it real big so that the runner can read it. Make it real big on a placard. Here's the answer. The righteous one will live by faith. That's it. The answer to your inquiry, Habakkuk, is you've got to trust in me. I know it stinks, And the world is not the way you want it right now. But I'm patient. And I'm going to make things right in my own good time. You need to remember, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. It's going to happen. The righteous one will live by faith. It was just tonight, uh, Bill... Rayburn led a meeting. I was in that meeting. It was downstairs. A few of us who have interest in the Philippines, we were talking about uh, some plans we have for the Philippines and uh, specifically some seminars that that we're planning on putting on. And this is is going to consume quite a bit of Bill's time and and other people who are involved in that, Brenda, of course, and and others and mine. And we're going to be investing quite a bit in these, these seminars that we'll be doing in the Philippines and we will, in our own way, be contributing toward God set, bringing justice to this world. And as we really think about how we're contributing to that, I mean, what we're doing is one, if I may put a negative spin on it, one measly little seminar in one measly little town in one measly little country in a corner of the world. And that, that small contribution is going to take a lot of our time and energy and money. And how is the worldwide plan of God going to be accomplished through these efforts. It might lead us to despair. It might lead us, those who hope in Christ can no longer put up with reality as it is. 
but begin to suffer under it, to contradict it. How long, O Lord, will you allow things to go on like this? And he says, the righteous one will live by faith. Be patient. I've got my plans. You, you remember, I've already mentioned him, Abraham, and the promises that God made to Abraham. This is Hebrews 11, verse 13. This is in the, in the middle of the writer of Hebrews talking about all these heroes of faith, Abraham and Sarah, is who he has just been talking about. And he says this, and in some ways this can seem so depressing. This is verse 13. These all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised. I mean, think about that. Abraham was 75 years old when he received the promises, and do you know how long he lived? He lived another century, a hundred more years. And he did not receive the things that were promised. But they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. They lived by faith. The righteous one will live by faith, trusting that God has it worked out in his own time, and we are just a part of his plans for this word, world. We need patience. I think the actual title for tonight is Practice Patience, and I'm not sure that I have good advice for you on practicing patience, except simply reminding you that we need to be patient, and we have people who have gone before us who have also practiced patience, and we serve a God who is, thank God, patient with us and with this world. But maybe I can give you one piece of advice, and... and uh, this will be a small contribution, perhaps, to your practicing patience. Andy Griffith, Season 3, Episode 16, is called Man in a Hurry. How many know that episode without me describing it to you? Okay, some of you do. Okay, good. It is on... It's on Netflix, I'm almost positive. It is definitely on YouTube. If you can't get it on Netflix, get it on YouTube and just watch it. When you go home tonight, my advice to you on practicing patience is go home tonight, put the kids in bed, sit in front of the TV, and watch Andy Griffith, Season 3, Episode 16, Man in a Hurry. Malcolm Tucker is in a hurry. He is on his way to Charlotte, and he has a business appointment in Charlotte. This is a Sunday. He has a business appointment in Charlotte Monday morning. And he is driving. He's almost going through Mayberry 
on a Sunday now, Sunday afternoon, and his car breaks down right outside of Mayberry. And so, of course, he's going to go into Mayberry and find somebody to fix his car on a Sunday afternoon so he can get to Charlotte. Well, he goes into Mayberry and finds nobody to fix his car. There is Gomer at the fill-in station, but Gomer doesn't have a clue about what's under the hood of a car. He can put gas in a car, but that's about the extent of his knowledge. And if you've ever seen Gomer, you know that that's about the truth of it. And Wally is sitting on his front porch. He can fix a car, but it's Sunday. He doesn't work on Sunday. And so he will not get off that porch out of his rocking chair to go fix this Malcolm Tucker's car. And so he runs into the sheriff and Andy invites him over to his house and Barney comes over after church and they sit on the front porch and Malcolm Tucker just paces and paces and paces while Andy peels an apple and is so proud of himself because he peeled the entire apple without breaking the apple skin. He got it all off in one piece. Hey, look at that. Oh, great. And all this happens, and finally his car gets fixed on that Sunday because Wally decided to do it. And he's about to leave, and what he has learned is he wants to stay in Mayberry. He has decided the life of patience is one that he would like to learn a little bit more about. And that way, Opie can do his, uh, what does he call it, his adventure sleeping, sleeping on the iron board in between the two chairs, because Malcolm Tucker's going to take his bed for the night. It's, it's an it's a episode of that show that, I think, encourages patience. And maybe if, a, I, I doubt there's a whole lot of, I don't watch much TV, but I doubt there's a whole lot on there that encourages patience. But I can say, I'm not sure the entire series Andy Griffith did that. Probably it did a lot better and shows on right now. But episode 16 of season 3, that was one that encouraged patience. And so I would encourage you, watch that episode and think about how you can be a more patient person relying on God, God who is patient, and having faith in him that he will bring things to pass in his own good time. And we wait on him. And that's what the Christian life is all about. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day and thank you for this opportunity that we've had to come together and study from your word and reflect on your patience and the patience that you encourage us to have as well, Father. And we pray that you will bless us with patience. Patience with each other, patience with ourselves, patience with you. Please help us, Father, to imitate you in this virtue. We thank you for Jesus and for the salvation that you have blessed us with through his life and his death and his resurrection and his continual intercession on our behalf. We thank you for your patience with us. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.